I'm excited, glad that you're here to hear this word. Now I'm going to turn my microphone on. Um, I am going to be in the book of Second Timothy. It's in the New Testament. It's actually the 16th book in the New Testament. So, boy, let me see if I can remember these. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Then we have the General Electric Power Company. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. Yeah, 16th verse, 16th book. So, 2 Timothy, if you want to get there. You can take some notes if you'd like. Um, I actually have some copies of all my preaching notes right here. If you want to just grab them afterwards, you can also do that, I guess. Uh, so chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, on this Labor Day weekend, this one's called Do Your Job. Uh, we all have work to do, uh, whether you know it or not, not just your secular job, but your uh, job that it has holy purposes in it. So 2 Timothy chapter 4, you got it? Do you got it? All right, there we go. All right, thanks. Stay with me. Uh, So uh, verse 1, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom. So right off the bat, we see three things about Jesus Christ. Three reasons why we should do our job. Right? What's, what's the f- three things? First one is uh, that Jesus uh, is coming to judge the living and the dead. That I don't work for you. I ultimately, I work for the Lord. So whether you give me criticism or you give me praise, that's nice or that hurts or whatever, ultimately, God is my judge. And God will judge you and God will judge me. So we want to be found work. We want to be found faithful when Jesus comes back to judge. At his appearing, meaning he's going to show up, the kingdom uh, is going to be found here again on earth, and Christ will appear. And I get excited when I'm thinking about that. The sky cracking open and the, and the trumpet sound and the Lord descending. In fact, listen to this from Revelation chapter 19. Listen to this. Uh, I saw heaven opened and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many crowns. And he is a named inscribed that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, wearing fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations that he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury, the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name inscribed, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. God is awesome. I mean, I wanted to get that image and God is coming. He's going to appear and it's going to be awesome. 
So he's the judge and he will appear in his kingdom. We need to let people know about the kingdom of God, that we are one of the citizens of the fellowship of the kingdom of God. So three reasons why we should do the work, because Jesus is judge and Jesus will be appearing and Jesus will be establishing his kingdom here on earth. He says, in view of these things, I solemnly urge you. You see, a Christian must be urgent. Say, well, I'll talk to my neighbors next week. I'll invite my family uh, maybe next year in January they can come. No, this is an urgent message. The message that we have to tell the world is a life or death issue. We should be urgent about this. There's no sense of waiting. We should be incredibly urgent about it. And of course, what is this job I'm referring to? What is our responsibility as Christians? That Carrie already mentioned earlier, Mark 16, 15 says, go into all the world and preach the good news, the gospel to everyone. But that's my job, right? Yeah, it's my job too. And it's also yours to go make disciples, to go tell people about how awesome God is and how great his love is for everyone. Now, Paul, as he's telling this, as he's writing this in prison, realizing that his work is almost completed. In fact, look at verse uh, 6 through 8 there. Verse 6 through 8, Paul is saying, as for me, I'm being poured out as a libation and the time of my departure has come. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've, I've kept the faith. From now on, there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. My work is almost done. He said, but I did my very best. I showed up for work every day. I was faithful, and great will be my reward. And so he gives these personal instructions to Timothy, kind of his, his mentee in, in, in ministry. He said, here's what I've learned. Here's what I know. Here's, here's some important things I want you to remember about doing the job, Timothy. And again, I don't think these uh, instructions were only for him, but I think also for us. And in these next couple verses, he lists what I put on as, as four obstacles to the job. Right, if we're to do this work, we're to, to be about telling the, the truth of God in, in preaching, heralding, which literally means hear ye, right? Talk, heralding the message. What are four obstacles you are most likely to encounter when you do your job? Well, let's look what it says here. Uh, verse uh, 9 through 11. Paul wrote, Do your best to come to me soon. For Damas, in love with his present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he's useful in my ministry. Number one obstacle, loneliness. Loneliness. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes you feel like you're the only one out there, the only one at work, the only one in your school, the only one in your family who gets to church, who believes, who has any kind of faith whatsoever. And here's Paul saying, people have left me. First of all is Damas, who's listed only three times in Scripture. 
The first time Damas is lifted, he says, my faithful, my fellow laborer, Damas. Right, a, a co-worker, my fellow laborer. Second time he's mentioned, just the world Damas. No longer a fellow laborer. And here when he's met, met, uh, mentioned, it's almost Damas the deserter. Sometimes that's the cycle of our faith. We go from a fellow laborer to just kind of being around and then we, we end up deserting the cause. Why? Because he fell in love with the present world and he deserted me. I think that Damas realized that being in ministry is sacrificial and it will cost you something. And when he realized the cost, he said, uh, no thanks, because I love the world, not so much the Lord. And there's always going to be that temptation to move from a fellow laborer to just being there to becoming a deserter. And that had to hurt Paul. He was my friend in Christ. He was a person I sat next to in church and, and was telling the truth of the gospel like me. And, and he deserted me because he, he gave up. He wasn't willing to consider the cost. It says, Crescens has gone to Galatia. We know nothing about Crescens other than he needed a new name really bad. Um, Titus to Dalmatia. Maybe that's where they get the Dalmatian dogs from, I don't know. Don't know too much about Titus either. Only Luke is with me. Luke, the physician, the faithful, beloved physician who was, a, am sure, a great help to Paul. Paul who had that thorn in his side. I'm sure Luke was a, was a blessing to him. He says, get Mark and bring him with you. Maybe it tells you how lonely the ministry was for Paul. If you remember, Mark was in the first mission trip with Paul, Barnabas, and Mark. And Mark left, and Paul was so angry at that, so disappointed in Mark. That in fact, when Barnabas and Paul got together for their second mission trip, and Barnabas said, hey, let's bring Mark, Paul said, absolutely not. And that argument broke up Barnabas and Paul forever, never got back together after that. He was so disappointed in Mark. But now here he is, he says, bring, bring Mark. I want somebody here. He's useful. He's helpful to have around. I'm lonely here. Ministry can be filled with loneliness. That's number one. Number two obstacle, discomfort. Discomfort. Look at verse 13. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas. Also the books and above all, the parchments. Ministry can be filled with discomfort. And Paul, sitting in a prison cell, was cold. Nothing to read. And it's almost this earnest plea that, please, can you bring me a coat? Can you bring me something to read? Because, man, I'm, I'm struggling here. I'm cold and I'm freezing, and, and I want, more than anything else, I want those parchments. I want, I want the book of the Lord. I want the scriptures, because that will give me strength. Ministry, as you're doing the job, is often filled with discomfort. You may get cold. You may get hungry. You may be put in situations where you're not comfortable. It's okay. That's part of the job. Number three, opposition. 
The third obstacle is opposition. Look at verses 14 through 15. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will pay him back for his deeds. You also must beware of him for he strongly opposed our message. You are going to have opposition. (laughs) You want to hear about opposition? Come talk to me after church. Right? Come in and try to change a culture of a church. A church that doesn't necessarily want to move forward. A church says, we're kind of okay right where we are, pastor. Just don't be ruffling, changing things around. Opposition. Alexander did me great harm. It's found that regardless of the size of the church, if you have 50 people or 5,000 people, the number one reason pastors would leave a congregation is usually around five or six people that so oppose and make things so uncomfortable for the pastor, they end up leaving. Paul had this experience with Alexander. Listen to these words. He did me great harm. He strongly opposed our message. We're going to reach people and do things for Christ, and they strongly oppose the message, that critical spirit. If you do what God is asking you to do, you're going to face some opposition. People are going to oppose your message. They'll be strongly critical, and they may do you great harm. It's part of doing the job. You've got to be rhinoceros-skinned almost. So we have loneliness. We have discomfort. We have opposition. Uh, number four, rejection. Verse 16, rejection. At my first defense... No one came to my support, but all deserted me. Rejection. When it came time to stand up and defend Paul and and come by and say, I'm with you, brother. I'm going to support you. I know what you're trying to do. No one was there. Everyone deserted him. All left him. No one supported him. Man, that's what makes it tough to do your job. You're out there all by yourself. And where's all the people? You said you were on the, you were, everybody left. When you do your job, you're going to face some obstacles. But despite those obstacles, Paul did his job. Look at verses 16 through 18. I'm sorry, verse 17. But the Lord, again, everyone left him, uh, But he said, but the Lord stood by me and gave me strength that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack. He will save me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. God strengthens you when you do the job. Just like he did Paul. God will strengthen you to stand up. He rescued him from trouble. Bad situations, he was rescued. In fact, it says, the Lord helped me. God is my helper. So when you're doing the job, again, remember, God will support you. God will strengthen you. God will help you. God will rescue you. Back in 1 Corinthians 2, Paul wrote these words. I was unsure of how to go about this. I felt totally inadequate. 
I was scared to death. Amen. If you want the truth of it, nothing I said could have impressed you or anyone else. But the message came through anyway. God's spirit and God's power did it. Paul said, it's not my by my persuasive words. It's all glory and power coming through me that's God's. Do your job is the title of his message. So what exactly is the job? Again, proclaim the message. Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Preach the gospel. Publicly proclaim God's love. Romans 10, 14. How can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? In Acts chapter 4, the disciples after encountering Christ were so excited. They said this, we cannot keep quiet. We can't stop talking about what we have seen and what we have heard. Try to shut us up, they said. We're so darn excited about this. And oftentimes, the Christian church is so silent. We're not excited about anything. Again, God is awesome. The Bible is awesome. But yet we sometimes seem not so much. Ephesians 6.19 says, pray for me too. Pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's good news is for everyone. Do your job. So how do you do the job? Let me close up with this. How to do the job? Look at verse 2. Here's how you do the job. I solemnly urge you, proclaim the message. Be persistent. How do you do the job? You be persistent. Whether the time is favorable or unfavorable. In good times and in bad times. Every day. Take your opportunity or make your opportunity. Think about this. Paul preached in the temple courts. Paul preached on the stormy seas. Paul preached in prison. Paul preached wherever he was. Good times, bad times, didn't matter. Favorable, unfavorable times, he made a point to be persistent with the gospel. Well, now's not a really good time to invite my wife, or now's a really good time to talk to my... When's a good time? Because bad time or good time, they're all good. Why, why are we waiting for? Be persistent. I invited my friend a couple of years ago, and he didn't come, so I'm never going to invite him again. Be persistent. Secondly, be persistent. Convince... Convince, convict, it's basically making the other person, making the sinner aware of their own sin. In fact, make them aware of their sin so that it, that it disgusts them. Because until someone is really disgusted at who they are and their sinfulness, they're never going to change. 
convince them that what they're doing is not holy, is not pleasing to the Lord. Convince them. Convict them. Tell them they're sinning against God. Rebuke. It's the third one, rebuke. Rebuke means to speak a word of warning about sin. But when you do that, right, when I'm doing that, when I'm telling, listen, uh, you're, you're sinning, right? You need to correct that. But I'm saying that is that, that we have this in common, right? That I'm also a sinner saved by grace. That I'm not better than you. I'm not judging you because I'm a brother in this, right? We're all family in this. But I speak with a consciousness of our common guilt when I rebuke. In fact, Proverbs 9.8 says this, Warn those who are wise and they will love you. Warn those who are wise and they're going to love you. Thank you for caring about me. Thank you for rescuing me because I was, my life was heading right off the cliff and you stopped me. Thank you for that. I was heading straight to hell, but someone saved me. Thank you. Praise be to God. So we're persistent. We convince them. We rebuke them. And lastly, we, we encourage them. We encourage them. We don't leave them in despair. We don't leave them with no hope. Boy, you screwed up. <laughs> I hate to be you. No, no, no. We, we, we encourage them. We encourage them to be, to be hopeful. There is hope in Christ. There is more grace. There is more love available. God loves you. God is not mad at you. God wants to forgive you. God wants to live in a right relationship with you. And we do that with great patience. Patience. With the utmost patience in teaching. A Christian is patient. We don't give up on people. We are patient. Their time is not your time. We are patient, believing in other people because we believe in the changing power of Christ. Christ can change a life, and I believe in that, so I believe in you. No one is beyond hope. No one is beyond uh, forgiveness because God can do all things. This goes on here to talk about the time is coming, verse 3, when people will not put up with sound doctrine. People don't want to hear the truth of the gospel. But they want to have itching ears. Tell me what I want to hear. Make, make me feel good right here. Right? That, that, that's good. That's, you know, tell, tell me I'm okay. Tell me I'm not a sinful person. Tell, tell me that I can just keep on doing whatever I'm doing. Tell me that I can just manage my idolatries. They will accumulate for themselves teachers preachers to suit their own desires and they will turn away from listening to the truth and they will wander away to myths. And if we don't think that's happening, we're fooling ourselves. You don't hear the gospel preached in a lot of churches anymore. And that saddens me. What we have is we have comfortable Christians listening to a comfortable religious talk that has no doctrine in it. Just tell me what I want to hear, Pastor. You know, take the cross out of the church because that offends me. And don't talk about sin. Just talk about, you know, just try harder. You're good enough. Just try a little bit harder. There's no preaching the whole of gospel. A preacher, you must teach all of God's word, the entire doctrine. Beware of false teachers. 
Be careful who you're listening to. Be careful who it is you're following. Anyone who makes people think less about sin is a menace to Christianity. Let me say that again. Anyone who makes people think less about their own sin is a menace to Christianity. Be careful of who you're listening to. You see, I could come up here and just tell some Bible stories. I could relate some interesting illustrations. I could read you a Bible verse and then forget about it. But true preaching is the explanation and application of biblical doctrine. Anything else is religious speech making. You need to have the whole gospel, the whole doctrine in there. Folks, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close, but I'm going to encourage you on this Labor Day weekend. We need to do our job. There's going to be obstacles there, absolutely. But we need to do our job. And this tells us how to do it. It's not just my responsibility. Each of us is called to do that. Like, let me close with this, this last verse here, one of my personal favorites. 1 Peter 3.15. You want to know what your job description is? Here it is. You ready? Here's, here's, what, here's your assignment for the rest of your life. You must worship Christ as Lord of your life. That's number one. Worship Christ as Lord of your life. And, there's two parts to this job. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer... Always be ready to explain it. Woo! If someone asks about your hope as a believer, why are you going to church? Why do you think God is real? Why, 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 why? I'm glad you ask. Because I'm always ready to explain it. Do your job. And help me to do mine. As the worship team gets ready, let's... Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, you've given each of us a holy responsibility. And yeah, we we work secular jobs, but really that's just our disguise, right? Uh, We're we're evangelists disguised as school teachers. We're evangelists disguised as fast food workers. We're evangelists disguised as retired golfers. Whatever it may be, God, help us to do what you've asked us to do. Help us to have a reason for the faith that we have. And help us to be persistent in doing that work. For the glory of God, may we do our job. In Jesus' name, amen.